Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Noah Healy, thank you so much for being our guest on the Michael Litton Experience. I cannot thank you enough for making time out of your schedule to be with us. I'm, I cherish our time together. And like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story and our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, we'll start with where you were born. We'll go all the way up to today. And then we'll talk about anything that you're working on today and or for tomorrow. Okay. Okay, sure. Awesome. It's great to have you here, bud. So where were you born? Uh, I was born in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where I live to this day. Okay, cool. So you grew up in Charleston? Uh, Charlottesville. Oh, Charlottesville. I'm sorry. Pardon me. That's that's Charlottesville. So did you grow up in Charlottesville? I did. Yes. Okay. So what was your favorite thing about growing up in Charlottesville? Um, I, uh, I, I love to read. Uh, I like, I like to walk. Um, I like nature. Um, and this is the second most bookish place on earth. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the, the Thomas Jefferson, his, his library was the original kernel for the, the, uh, library of Congress. Wow. And, um, UVA has one of the four largest, uh, uh, university libraries on earth. I didn't know that. The only place on earth with a higher, like per capita book density, uh, is the Vatican city. Really? Oh my gosh. That's what I've been told on multiple occasions from multiple sources for decades. Learn something new every day. Right. So, so you're in the most bookish place on the planet or one of them, right? Yeah. Or certainly in the U.S. I didn't realize I didn't US, know that yeah. about Thomas Jefferson. That's cool. Yeah, so, he was a huge reader. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, so Charlottesville all your life, right? And you you get you get a chance to to spend time in nature and read books, and it sounds like it's perfect for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a small town when I was born here, and yeah. so uh, I grew up on a dead end street in town that was largely undeveloped. And so across the, across the road was this sort of large undeveloped loblolly forest. And behind our house was a bamboo grove uh, that was surrounding a Creek uh, that runs down to the Creek that sort of defines the, the County border over on that side of town. So that's awesome, man. So you got to spend a lot of time outside pretty fair amount and and in the shade which is important because my complexion does not tan <laughs> i know that feeling by the way so so where'd you go to high school charlottesville high school okay uh, yeah i went charlottesville city schools all the way up um gotcha. i was part of several uh programs to accelerate math instruction in city schools. So by the time I was a junior in high school, I had finished mathematical instruction in the city schools and they had a program which sent me to UVA uh, to continue to take classes there. That's cool. So I got four semesters of UVA classes during my high school tenure. I love it. I also took about a dozen APs. That's cool, man. So what was your, did you have a favorite subject in, in high school? Uh, math, I, I more had a, a least favorite subject. I, I never cared for English very much. <laughs> uh, I'm not much of a speller. I have I have horrifying writer's block. Right. Uh, it's a really bad case of dyslexia. Yeah. And so that was, everything else was fine, basically. I got you. Okay, that's cool. So you graduate. You graduate from Charlottesville High School. Then yep. where did you go? UVA. UVA. Right? Yeah. Um, there were a few other possibilities, uh, but 
other colleges were getting shirty about accepting transfer UVA credits as credits for an incoming. They were like, no, you used those classes to graduate from high school. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I was going to graduate from high school without college credits on my my resume. No kidding. You had plenty of credits graduating high school. Right. I have a feeling. Um, (laughs) But UVA couldn't really turn down UVA credits as UVA credits. Like you're going to have a hard time with that, right? Right. (laughs) Built in already. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went to UVA, uh, and, and sort of bounced around, didn't have a a specific direction, which they don't particularly approve of in the engineering school, but, um, the, they let me do it. And I had some professors that I liked that turned out to be in the nuclear engineering department. So I wound up taking a bunch of nuclear engineering classes, which they were actually shutting that department down at the time. Oh, Wow. That's tough. So I was the last person admitted. I did one year of grad school on a like full ride scholarship, um, which was also the last year of which the department existed. Oh my and, gosh. and so that, that happened. Wow. So, um, so you go to, you do a year of graduate school at UVA, right? What, where do you go from there? Uh, well, I needed a job and it was the year 2000. So I got a job at a dot com. It was this company called Boxer Jam, okay. uh, which was sort of a pioneer in social gaming. And they were so much of a pioneer, they didn't understand that social gaming is what they were doing. So it was oh. founded by uh, these two different, there was a Boxer Productions, these two guys that wanted to be like Hollywood producers and Jam Studios. Uh, which was Merv Griffin's ex-wife and her sister. Oh, wow. And they invent and would pitch game shows. Okay. Uh, but but they were having a hard time. I mean, you know, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune had basically completely saturated the market. Right. Um, and she she invented Jeopardy. So, like... Oh, wow. Yeah, she's the one that proposed to Merv that they they flip. It was during the quiz show... Uh, uh, thing where there was the cheating scandal, right? And they were like, "Well, why don't we, why don't we restore faith by giving the answers away? Like, like we're just tell everybody the answers, right? Um, that anyhow, yeah. So there's a whole story behind that. So come up with a question. Did these 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 producers were like, "Hey, it's great that you have these game shows, and it's cool that game shows, you know, hit a different demographic and a more valuable demographic than a lot of TV does." But there's this internet thing. So what if we came up with a way to make your game show work in a web page and create games for the middle-aged woman? demographic on the mm-hmm. internet which again was virtually non-existent but was way more valuable than the you know basement dwelling you know uh you know pale nerd demographic which was basically dominating at that point so right. they they built them um and they had they had a usership that was probably about the size of like a decent radio station okay um, like a mid-market radio station uh and so they got they got a whole bunch of money and started hiring people and it turned out that um the the players liked the chatting feature and sort of playing the game as a social activity more than they cared about the game itself so they, they like the interaction their, okay yeah so they spent all their money buying new game game content and then they went bankrupt and then the the place basically folded oh um, wow so how long were you there? A year. Okay. So in 2001, you, yep. the place folds. Where do you go from there? Uh, most of us went on to another company, uh, uh, Carden Jennings. Okay. They had come up with the idea of creating digital workflow systems for scientific publishers. Okay. And they weren't alone. There's another company in town that still exists. Uh, that also came up with that idea. Okay. Uh, and so they did that for a little while. I was there for a year. Yeah. Um, got laid off again. 
after after you know 2001 2002 the dot-com bubble starts booming dumb ideas start being revealed as dumb ideas um so uh so yeah i uh i got a job at uva um managing uh computer infrastructure for a bio lab for a little while there you go um then uh left them and then i got another job that lasted for about a week because the day i st- the day after i started that job uh my house burned up oh no oh my gosh yeah <laughs> yeah i'd uh, i i was i was out i i'm kind of a night owl yeah. um I, I don't sleep that much, so I, I sort of go to bed a little after midnight and then wake up in the morning. Yeah. Um, so I I would shop, you know, late at night because it was convenient and easy. Right. And so when I came back, there was a there was a fire truck parked across the bottom of my street. Oh my gosh! Uh, and blocking, and so I you know park and walk over and ask what's going on and uh, say you know house fire uh can't let anybody buy uh doesn't look like anybody's home and you know i'm not home <laughs> right you're anybody right <laughs> right <laughs> so uh so yeah that happened um it was about a year and a half to get the house almost a year and a half to get the house back back up and running yeah um and then I went to work for a company called Video Gaming Technologies that made and leased slot machines to Indian casinos. Wow. That's quite a business. Uh, That was, that was, yeah, that was kind of crazy. They, 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 they were growing like a weed. I was somewhere between the 70th and 90th person hired there. I was there for six or seven years. Uh, I think they'd gotten up to about 550 people by the time. Oh I my gosh. So uh, six or seven years. Yeah. And then, and, well, so the thing about VGT is that they hired me. Uh, when you write, when you, when you want to make a computer do something, we generally do that with code. Right. Um, and so there are programs that, basically just run uh uh there are things called interpreters that will sort of read stuff that people might actually choose to type in and will recognize that and act like that stuff says but most things run through something called a compiler and that's a program that reads text files and then produces pro program files that are a lot more like what computers like to use to to run things okay um, and compilers are very complicated pieces of work okay and so it can be hard to compile things to produce the same outcome twice so you can have one program you can have two different people compile it and you can wind up with two different programs really yes wow i didn't know that was possible okay it's mostly pretty subtle and for most people this isn't that big a deal but right. if writing programs is your lifeblood if you're like a real company and everything right and then making sure that your compilers are, are pretty pretty you know solid and doing what you expect them to do is highly important right if you're in a highly regulated industry that doesn't trust the government the people running the thing the people that made the thing or anybody else yeah. it becomes vastly more important right no everybody kidding. knows that everybody knows that everything's exactly the same as it's supposed to be so they they blew up and they didn't really have a build process in place so hmm. they had gotten a consultant in um and he had formalized ish their build process but it was still extremely manual um but he had he had a a very tight checklist and you know he was a hard ass about it which is sort of your job actually uh and and so he was getting to the point where they could actually produce uh, uh stably compiled outputs which is important because 
if you're in the gambling industry, it's illegal not to produce those. Right. So, so it's good that they could start. You but get they, a lot of trouble, yeah. It, it took him a week to produce one. And okay. they needed to be able to have a release cycle of less than a week uh, for for testing purposes and so on. So they okay. needed extra people, and I came on board. And um, I'm I'm an automation expert, so uh, I got their build process, you know, out of the 1950s and into the <laughs> into the 21st century, basically. <laughs> um, but it took that a while. Yeah, it took a while. There wasn't a lot of management support. Um, but near the end of that tenure there, uh, the, it was finally completely automated. Yeah. So uh, I I was looking around. I was like, hey, you know, what's what are the career opportunities here? Yeah. And so my boss was like, well, you can talk to my boss. And his boss was like, well, you can talk to my boss. And his boss was like, well, you can talk to my boss's boss. And he was like, well, you have to talk to the owner um, because he's the only person that makes any decisions here. Oh, really? And so I got on, I got, I got in a conversation with the owner and he said, you know, it's policy that we don't really have any career opportunities here. That's strange. I thought so. Um <laughs> He did say, check it out. We we have this thing coming. It might be interesting to you. So I was like, well, I mean, I guess I can kind of check it out and see what's going on. We're coming into the summer. I don't really like the summer that much. We mentioned before, I burn easy. Right. Um, so I can hang out and see what he's talking about. So what he was talking about was a shift towards uh, this, this process called Agile. Right. And he bought a bunch of books. Somebody had handed him one of these books and he was like entranced. So he hired the guy that wrote the book to come in and train everyone on how to do agile programming. And this guy's, this guy's mantra was the build system. This thing I was telling you about. Yeah. He said his mantra was you make, you make a good build system and then you organize your entire company around your build system. Right. Makes sense. So, well, Sure. And so, so, you know, step one, I'm going to teach you how to fix your build system. So my boss's boss is the lowest level person who's in these, like these meetings. There's seven layers of management in this company, by the wow. way. So, so the, he didn't get, he didn't get like the team lead, you know, all, all 500 of us aren't going to this guy's seminars, only, you know, upper management and up are, you know, cause they've got three levels of upper management or something. So, right. so, so he, my boss's boss is in the seminar and here's the first, you have to like build a real build system and then you organize your company around it. And so he comes up to the guy after the session's over and is like, okay, here's how our build system works. He's like, okay, you guys don't have to do step one. Like you already have a working build system. Now you just have to organize your company around that build system. You'll be golden. Right. So I was like, well, that's okay. That's maybe there's something I can, you know, massage or do something with here. Yeah. So um, I did a project to work out what the build out would look like to actually have the computer capacity to to roll out automation across all 250 programmers right because because it the entire thing was fully automated but they didn't actually have very many computers dedicated to it so there's only one team of eight people that never used the full automation piece. Wow. um there was everyone was sort of going in and everybody was in the build system but it was, it was it's very bizarre what was what was happening at that company so anyway uh we costed that out and there were sort of three phases uh, except for the first one, they were all optional. Right. Um, and the first one was, you know, it was $10,000 immediately just to get enough Ram for our, our central computer to, to be able to function. And then the second phase was over the course of the next one and a half to three years was uh, something like $200,000 to build out the internal uh, virtual machine arrays to, to hold up. Mm -hmm. And if, if that was working at every step, at the end of that three years, there would then be about a five-year long, potentially, uh, uh, thing where half to $2.5 million would have to be spent because the, 
size of server closets, we're going to have to start knocking walls out to like put more, more computers in and stuff. Wow. Um, so I, you know, I found all the numbers, figured everything out, you know, put it down compared to other industries and what other people had done and presented that to uh, basically three layers of management up from me and up about right. what would actually be involved in reorganizing their company around the build system. Like they said, they wanted to, yeah. and the response was $10,000 is a lot of money. Oh, wow. Now to put this in context at this point, corporate revenue was slightly in excess of a hundred million dollars. Yeah. And corporate profit margins were a little under 40%. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and the owner of the company who was taking home that tens of millions of dollars at the end of every year, less whatever yeah. taxes were doing to him, uh, had so much control over the company that my boss's boss's boss couldn't buy a paper clip without his signature on the check. Oh, geez. Yeah. So um, I, I was like, okay, cool. Um, I'll, uh, you know, I'm going to leave at the end of the month. So <laughs> stage left right right yeah like it's gonna be the end of summer and and so that'll work for me and and so like the end of the end of august like i'm not gonna be here anymore yeah no um, and so i'll just start training people so that you know there'll be a transition and then a week after that they announced that they were gonna move the company to tennessee um and uh <laughs> okay and you could keep your job if you wanted to move. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I waved them goodbye and wished them well. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I had sort of wanted to build a sabbatical for myself anyway. So um, that was, that was kind of what I was thinking. Um, I did a little bit of traveling that November. I have, I come from a pretty big family and a lot of my, a lot of my aunts and uncles also have sizable families. Uh, so I had a, a cousin, um, she and the guy she were married, was married to were stationed in Beijing. They were reporters and okay. at, at her sister's wedding, they had invited me out to visit them in Beijing. There you go. And, and I was, soon to be unemployed and have a bank account so there you go i asked if they were serious about that and they were like of course we are um so so yeah i uh a, a couple months later i i went to beijing there was some adventures with you you have to get uh your passport pre-stamped by a chinese embassy to to go to china really yeah. So you have to go to an embassy in the U.S.? You have to go to an embassy in the U.S. and apply for an entry visa and hand over your passport. Wow. Um, and then come back like a month later and one of the pages in your passport will be a Chinese entry visa. They just like print right over it. Wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, did all that. Uh, Charlottesville is a couple hours south of Washington D.C., so yeah. so the Chinese embassy is not a not a huge lift. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, flew over there, uh, came back. Mostly wanted a chance to. So I'm a recreational mathematician and wanted to think about computational math some. Okay. So I, that's sort of what I did for a while there. Uh, and while I was doing that, I came up with this different idea about how to do super intelligence alignment okay. uh, in the in the modern parlance. I was thinking about how to get consensus on networks. So if you have a network of agents that all have information, how do you construct information that is the composite? of their their data streams okay uh and it turns out that this approach when applied to financial markets actually generates a 
more powerful model for financial markets than the kind we've been using since the Renaissance. Um, so that kind of became my new purpose in life. Okay. Uh, so this was like 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. So how um, did you discover this? How did you discover that it's that it's a better model for financial services? Well, so the first step was uh, I worked out that by modeling a consensus problem around a game theory construction known as a a coordination game okay uh you could get consensus so basically there's certain strategic situations where agents that deviate from the consensus get a worse outcome for themselves than they would have if they complied with the consensus okay and the property of those kinds of strategic situations is that once a consensus forms it sticks around and before a consensus forms everybody's trying to get a consensus right so that combination of traits struck me as valuable okay. uh, for generating consensuses on networks okay uh, and so then the second problem became if you if you did this, like, what do you, how do you sort of deal with the problem that once a consensus is formed, everyone now just wants consensus and doesn't want sort of the truth. Okay. And so I came up with this sort of betting model where by, by betting on the general consensus, you could effectively pay the network to agree with you on the understanding that if the if the thing that you're getting them to agree to is better for them, then they'll share the wealth back. So if you come up with a better idea and disseminate it and get people to follow it, and it is a better idea, then they'll essentially pay you for that and you'll make money. Whereas if it's a worse idea, then they'll basically share the pain. So if you do that, then you'll 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 have you'll have paid people so at least they don't lose everything that for a novelty right but then they can go back to sort of the good answer and and ignore you in the future and, okay. and since you're now down you'll be less likely to be able to you know come up with bad ideas in the future right so uh structurally speaking what this allows you to do is price transaction costs so this gets into economics a little bit, but one of the one of the problems for market economists is that there are non-markets. So one of the, the the assumptions of market economists, and they don't actually think it's an assumption, but there's it is technically, uh, is that markets are effectively perfect decision-making machines. And so since we have these things that are perfect decision-making machines, why do we make decisions in other ways so okay. why isn't there a marketplace to choose your wife or why is there a ceo of a company why isn't there a market doing that and so on and there's some pretty hardcore like out there economists that claim that there should be markets for things like that and most people happily enjoy them or ignore them but uh but the 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 core concept was this idea of transaction costs and transaction costs aren't just like the fee you pay to your banker to do something transaction right. costs are all the costs associated with using a market system so okay. they're the amount of time it takes you to learn how the interface works mm -hmm. or the amount of attention you have to use to pay attention to the new york stock exchange or the errors that are induced by you not trading perfectly mm -hmm. so all of those things are encompassed within the transaction costs and okay. this is pretty normal in economics is that cost is a highly encompassing term that doesn't necessarily have a number fixed to it gotcha. but price while it can be a highly encompassing term does have a, a number fixed to it right and so this approach by controlling that that thing that you know the, the number that you pay to make a change mm -hmm. and the number that you get back for the values that are attached to those changes and so on. Right. Those are prices on transaction costs, which is something that 
doesn't exist anywhere in the literature I'm aware of. Okay. Um, so that was that was a new thing under the sun. So uh, my neighbor, uh, who was actually the guy who'd been assigned to be my mentor at my at that first company, Boxer Jam, mm-hmm. um, I was like, "Well, this is really cool. I just figured out how to price transaction costs. Nobody's ever done that before." <laughs> and so I walked over to tell him about it. Um, and so we got to talking about it. And he asked me, could you use that to predict the stock market? And I said, no, you can't, because you can't pay enough money. The people in the stock market are making money from their information. In order to get that information for you instead of the marketplace, you'd have to pay them more than the marketplace is paying them, which kind of definitionally defeats the purpose of getting it in the first place. Right. They're making as much money as the market lets them make. Right. Paying more than that amount of money for that information is going to be a losing proposition for you. Right. So I was walking back to my house and I had this sort of intuitive insight that that means that the market's paying for information. So there might be a way to make a marketplace out of this by using a recursive system where instead of having one entity, a person probably, asking a network of persons or machines or both or or whatever for information if you could actually sort of wrap it around so that the system was asking itself for its own states mm-hmm. then there could be a market structure buried in there okay and mostly as an intellectual exercise that i had a few sort of ancillary thoughts one is that i also had you know i had a little bit of economics and i knew that everybody knew that markets were perfect. And so if this approach could be close to as good as marketplaces, then that's when you're close to as good as perfect, that's, that's highly impressive for me anyway. Um, But uh, mostly just the, the concept of wrapping my head around a, a set of recursive formulas for, you know, information value and value information uh, struck me as exactly the kind of reason that I'm a recreational mathematician. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I got to work on for the better part of a year. Wow. Uh, uh, so that's that's what I did. And as it turned out, once I'd sort of gotten it nailed down and written code that actually did the computations to sort of check what the throughputs and efficiencies look like. Um, the system, that's that's when I discovered the system was superior to to existing things, that, that the amount of work you have to do to get the, the information uh, is much less uh, and that, that it has a lot of other uh, nice properties. Um, it's like intrinsically anti-bubble crash, for example, in ways that the current market structure obviously is not. Okay. Uh, and uh, and so, like I said, that sort of became my new purpose in life to try to figure out how to get that project into general usage. Yeah. Um, and and I've tried a bunch of stuff. I, I had a day job for a little while. It looks like probably something that's also going to be hopefully in my near future again, because I'm, I'm getting closer to the end of the rope these days. But oh, yeah. uh, uh, some of the people that didn't want to move to Tennessee uh, decided to form their own company that makes and leases slot machines to Indian casinos. Really? And yes, and they they did reasonably well for themselves. So, a few years ago, um, I signed on with them as their data scientist and and got their their data team sort of built up. Um, and uh, but then then things started popping on my side of things, uh, and and so I left them. But then things started to really flatten out the there's been a whole crazy thing with the the patent office uh for this for example um so first rule of patents is that it can't be published right uh so i was kind of i was kind of 
very tentative and not talking very much to people, uh, which is a very difficult way to do sales. And, right. uh, <laughs> sort of the antithesis of sales. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, not that sales is really my forte, even to this day, I'm a lot better now than I was back then, but still. Um, and sort of looking around for the, the opportunity, I got um, a little family money to help me try to get the patent. And so... Uh, in 2015, I filed a provisional patent uh, just off of like legal Zoom, mm -hmm. and you don't have to do a lot of details there. But that starts the clock. You've got one year at that point to file your full patent application. Okay. And um, I needed to find an attorney that that I could work with for that. Right. And uh, I got turned down by several uh, uh lots of people sort of didn't understand what i was talking about uh or had conflicts uh with existing clients and so wouldn't work with me uh and i finally met a guy who didn't have conflicts and didn't understand what i was talking about but did think that i was probably onto something and offered to help me look for somebody to <laughs> wow to get to and i got a recommendation and he checked them out and said they had got a great reputation so i wound up with a company out of boston mm -hmm. um and we got the patent filed at pretty much the 11th hour yeah. um i think it was i think it was about two or three days before the one year would have expired wow uh, that we got we got the full patent application in so um, just over the wire yeah yeah so um, we had we had a couple of back and forths after uh, about a three year delay to actually get the patent assigned to an examiner and looked at and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, but fall of 2019, uh, the patent was accepted, and then like patent examiner supervisor called my attorneys and said, "We're probably not going to honor that." acceptance heads up why is that a... nobody actually knows and there's a <laughs> lot of story about how nobody actually knows somebody presumably does know unless you know computers are actually running everything and and they're not telling us about it but right. uh so so that's weird there's yeah. a procedure for withdrawing an acceptance. There's an mm -hmm. internal department at the patent office that examines things. And if they don't like them, then they're allowed to say so. Right. And they don't, and they don't deal with you directly. They, right. they deal, like, they're, they're a relatively secret department because they're not supposed to be influenced by the outside world. And so, but there's a procedure for them doing that. Right. And this is not that procedure. This isn't how it works. Um, is it possible they don't understand it? at that point it was possible that they don't okay. understand it but okay. bear in mind this is the fall going into the winter of 2019 and right. it's 2024 right now so there's more right. to this story that's coming down the pike so um so my attorneys basically say you know let's 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 you know see what's going to happen uh you know because they should you know, you don't want to file for the patent and sort of spend money uh, and then have them have to give you the money back. Uh, you know, just like, let's, let's, let's have them, there's a procedure, they'll tell us what's wrong. You know, the, the, the clock will restart and we can, we can do this thing. Right. And whatever they say is wrong, then we can address it. Okay, fine. So it's getting to December. Now, after they, after they give you an acceptance, a clock starts. If you don't, if you don't file for the patent before I think it's 60 days, then, then that's it. You can't file for that patent anymore. It's public domain now. Okay. So we, we haven't heard anything aside from this informal, Hey, heads up. We're probably not going to do our jobs communication. Yeah. We're not, we're not doing books. this. Yeah. Right. So we file for the patent. Okay. And that's not a particularly you know, long, 
you know, the, 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 the patent filing, this, it's not like when you go to get your driver's license and you have to fill out the forms and stuff. This is like when you go to get your driver's license and you've done all of those things and you give them the money for the, the piece of plastic that they've got behind the, you know, like this, this is just the transaction part. Right. Except this time, not so much. So a couple of months wind up going by and then they say, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, we're, we, we need, still need to figure out why we're not doing it. We'll get back to you soon. Yeah. They don't understand. They don't get it. Right. So yeah. the, that spring, they, they, uh, come up with their list of reasons why this patent isn't going to happen. And, uh, most of them are technical mm -hmm. and my lawyers are like, this is all our, on us. They're not a problem. We can solve all of these. It's just like we got to move, you know, so we got to, we got to like, you know, insert a, another boilerplate sentence that's purely legal and you don't care about it at all. And we'll just, we'll just insert those sentences and it'll be fine. Right. Uh, fine. Okay. If that's what it is. Right. The last one is a 101 violation. So there's basically a handful of reasons why you cannot get a patent. Okay. Um, you could not get a patent because something is already patented. Right. That's similar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you could not get a patent um, because your patent doesn't actually improve anything. Yeah. There's no use for it. Yeah. Right. Or you could not get a patent because it's not legal to patent the thing that you're trying to patent. Okay. So the 101 violation is that last one. And that's okay. a heart attack because if you're in the if you're in the category of things that aren't allowed to be patented at all, right? Then you're then, dead you know, water. Yeah, yeah. There's no conversation to be had. Yeah. Now the reason they say that I'm in the category of not allowing to be patented at all is that they say that this patent doesn't actually improve things. So it's sort of a backhanded later reason that they're sort of pulling up into into sort of class one right and they don't have a leg to stand on right i'm i'm an algorithmic expert my i've been spending at this point a quarter of a century but at that point only about 20 years studying computational math right i know whereof i speak on on this these these topics and subjects yeah but uh, they don't they're not getting it no right? they don't understand um, how it applies so I go a little nuts and and have some very energetic communications with my attorneys who I also don't feel really understand exactly the magnitude of, of how egregious the lies that were contained in this thing are to this right. day. But um, as it happens, there's a classic paper that's actually hosted by a government website that I read back in 2000. Okay. Um, that describes precisely how important it is to produce the kinds of algorithmic improvements that I'm talking about producing. Okay. Uh, and they, this is back in 1984, I think. This guy got a supercomputer to be defeated on the same task by a home computer. Really? Yes. And the supercomputer was wasn't using some bizarre crappy language it was using the premier supercomputer language of the day and it was programmed as efficiently as possible within that language for the algorithm being used and the home computer was not being programmed as efficiently as possible in the language and it was being programmed in basic but the algorithm being used on the home computer was something called quicksort and the and the one being used on the supercomputer is something called bubble sort. Yeah. And the size of the problem was a million elements. And okay. at a million elements, quick sort is approximately 50,000 times more efficient than bubble sort is. Really? Wow. Yes. Okay. Now, these days, we can have lists that have billions or even trillions of things in them. Yeah. Um, so it, since yeah, 1984. Right. So at trillions of things, um, quicksort is approximately 25 billion times more efficient than quicksort is. Right. Or than, than bubble sort. Quicksort's about 25 billion times more efficient than than bubble sort. Modern 
uh, uh, markets are in that in the trillions zone. Right. And my system is essentially a bubble sort to quick sort level step up in algorithmic efficiency. And so uh, at scale, my system is probably about 300,000 times more efficient computationally speaking than the present markets are. Uh, And that's all the math of that is all in the patent basically. And that's, that's why, that's why they can't grasp it because it's just way over here. Right. Yeah, probably. So, so we, I, I, you know, very energetically put this point across to my attorneys. They write a pretty sharp, you know, they, they fix this, they fix sort of the grammar and spelling mistakes. Right. Uh, But then they, they, it's, it's a few pages long and it's it's basically every paragraph is punctuated by, you know, and if you don't want to accept this, then you're going to have to prove it because, right. you know, here is here's the publicly available, universally acknowledged mathematical proof that we're right. Right. And if you want to dispute that, then we'll see you in court. Right. So this brings us now to uh, February 2021. Okay. So this process takes more than a year. For so we're now through COVID. Acceptance. We're through the shutdown, <laughs> right? Um, it's it's coming it's coming back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, but COVID COVID was twenty twenty, right? Yeah. So COVID's we shut down the spring of twenty twenty. So you're through all that. Yep. Right, which I I heard affected the patent office too. So it did. You're, so you're all through all that. Now you're yep. February of 2021, so you're so we're back opening back up and all that kind of thing. Yes, yes. So they issue another notice acceptance saying, "Hey, that's right. We don't know what we were thinking here. You know, thanks for the spelling mistakes and and that stuff, but like it's all good." Uh, three. So they finally lawyers, said yes. They say yes the second time. Okay. My lawyers are like, "We're not delaying on this one. We gotta we gotta file." Yeah, before they change their mind. Immediately. Right. Yeah, no kidding. So we, we do learn our so lesson we, on this deal, right? Right. Yeah. So we we file to get accepted. Uh three weeks later, they withdraw that notice of acceptance. <laughs> this is just painful. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even live it. I'm just right. listening, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm this is this is what I'm living with. So they they they, they withdraw <laughs> that notice of acceptance. They uh it takes them about a month but they come back with their reason and their reason this time is that if they grant this patent then i will control the economy right right that's too important they can't do it right um they can't give you that kind of power they can't, yeah. The, this patent is too good to be offered because if they granted the patent, then it would be implemented. And if it was implemented, I'd get rich. So they're not right. going to do that. Oh, 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 that's <laughs> terrible. Yes. <laughs> there's no, there's no thing in any of the laws that, that allow this to make any sense. Right. Um, and they're actually way too expansive. They say I will control all economic activity, but they've already admitted that there's zero prior art. So all right. existing economic systems, like I can't shut down grocery stores, right. like because they're they're not covered under my patent. Right. Like the, so so basically it's pure BS. Yeah. Um, and so my attorneys talk to my examiner, his, his supervisor. And she and he say, we agree that this patent should be granted. Like right. We're on your side. We think this is a great idea. We've been told that we cannot move forward with this. And we can't talk to you about the people that told us to do this. And we can't understand the people that are telling us to do this. Right. So this is the best we could do to write down what they said the reason was so so we don't know what the reason is that this isn't going forward right we're just parroting right this is this is our best understanding of 
we don't understand. Right, right, right. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Right. Passed on to you, and we're powerless. We cannot, like, we disagree with this right now, but right. we can't, we can't not do it because we've been told to do it. So, okay. So, uh, I talked to my attorneys and basically like, well, you know, we can, we can construct a logical brief that knocks this down very easily because, you know, the people that wrote it don't even believe in it. Right. Um, but obviously that's not going to move the ball forward because they're, they're not, they're not going to do their jobs just because it's their jobs. And it, like the, somebody else has told them what their jobs actually are, right. which is to not do it. So um, we can drop it or we can file an appeal. Yeah. So I instruct them to, you know, put together the appeal. Right. Uh, I also open up a case with my congressional office and I get the guy running my case is the, the chief of staff for the congressional office. He's been there for much longer than the congressman has been. Right. And so he says, you know, this is, this is like, you know, most of what congressional offices actually do is customer service. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't control the bureaucracy. So we can't, like, we can't go in and tell them to do what, you know, you want to have happen. Right. What we can do is get a report filed from them. Right. And basically, like, six to eight weeks, it won't just be a form letter. They'll tell us what's going on. And usually it's it's pretty maybe even four to six weeks. Like the bureaucracy likes telling the people that pay, sign their paychecks that they're doing their jobs. Like that's right. that's what they that's what their jobs are. So so I can I can you know get that in and we can sort of find out what's going on for you. But they can go ask questions, right? And and when a when a congressman asks questions because Congress has oversight. Right. When Congress starts asking questions, now all of a sudden everybody perks up and they're like, okay. Exactly. Yeah, you know, right. So now the pressure cooker is starting to start. Exactly. To yeah. So um, you know, a month, maybe two, I'll I'll have something. So two and a half months later, uh we get a form letter. The form letter recapitulates the timeline I just gave you, except it it's false. It leaves out the first notice of acceptance entirely. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought so. Uh, and it it has a little code at the bottom saying that uh, patent office policy is that they will only communicate on a case through a single channel. And since I have an attorney, that is the single channel. Right. So they're never talking to the congressional office right. on this subject ever again. Well, so if they can, if they can avoid that, if there's a way for them to avoid that, they're going to, right? They did because because now they've now they've gotten their attention. So that's why you're getting what you're getting because you got their attention through the congressman, yeah, or Congress, yeah, yeah. Congressional so they just they just shut down the congressional rep, right? Um, so he gives that to me. He's like, I've never seen this happen before. Right. Um, you know, that's that's it. Like, you know, I can't I can't send armed. People but you know, you know what's happening here, right? You so bureaucrats are in the business of perpetuating their own existence, right? And they're all about routine. Even in the patent office, which comes up, you know, patents don't come to them. They come to them because they're new ideas. They deal with new ideas all the all day. They deal with a. They deal with a. And I know this for a fact. They deal with a with a support for an oven door, right? That was redesigned right. by General Electric, and now it's being patented because it makes the oven door easier to open. The reason I know that is because a very good friend of mine's son works for General Electric, and they literally got a patent for that. He's got like nine patents that he's that he's been awarded through General Electric, working as an engineer for them, right? So yep. we know that that's the case. That's a heck of a lot easier for the patent office to understand than what you're than what you're submitting. And so all of a sudden, it's this change for people who don't like change. It's too much. It's too much change. You're you're literally rocking the boat too much, right? 
And yep. they're like, no, 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 no. When you rock the boat too much, they they throw their hands up and go, uh-uh, I'm crying uncle. Ah, <sighs> yeah. So <laughs> it, took us, it took us a little while. The uh, the appeal was filed um, in the winter of uh, 2022. Yeah. And then the appeal was scheduled to be heard July 2025, oh just this God. last July, just July 2023. Okay. Um, I think I think I've got the timeline right there. I might. I get years off sometimes, but anyway, I do know it's July 2025 is when my appeal will be heard. Um, 2025. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's a good thing so, they're not delaying it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it, the, the the speed and efficiency is what blows me away. This is that bureaucracy thing all over again. This is nuts. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the 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 case basically is that they've said yes twice and then refused their own yeses on both occasions for reasons that the people who are actually in charge of saying yes can't support and can't be supported with any logical argument that anybody's been able to advance yeah except that they don't know what they're doing they don't know what they're dealing with and they're actually they actually do patent uh uh market mechanisms there's yeah. there's actually this woman that works for the cme group and she patents a market mechanism like a few a year yeah. and back in 2019 they actually had one turned down because the patent office tried to say that market mechanisms were unpatentable subject material and the cme group appealed that decision and the and the patent board said market mechanisms are a patentable subject matter wow. so i've got precedent and reason and yeah. and the arresting officer as character witnesses no kidding. <laughs> wow wow so, we're, so we'll so see what happens just, in a year and a half so now we're in limbo uh yeah 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 um prior to to being heard the so have you so patent search is notoriously very difficult to do yeah um uh, the the systems that exist are incredibly clunky. Google has a patent search facility that works slightly better than the patent offices, but it still has never worked nearly as well as general Google search does. Right. Um, I, when you, unless you pay specific fees to stop them from doing this, when you file a patent, they publish, once they're, it's under consideration, they publish the patent material on their website. And so for years i was offering people that link to the patent under the sort of patent pending the patent is technically still pending because they could still say yes right um but uh but i had that link and it's it's this big complicated url that gets you you know to the right position inside the patent system right. uh once it's appealed they take that down now the google patent search link still has it because it is still a a uh a, a pending patent that that's still there but as part of policy once you're going to the appeals process the patent office starts erasing public materials about their actions unbelievable CIA, uh, right uh yeah well you know it's always encouraging when your government is behaving the way that you know the evil corporation in the movie behaves when, yeah, when it's really. under investigation. Not really. Um, so, uh, so yeah, wow. that kind of thing starts happening. And uh, uh, I've had a couple more outreaches. Um, there's something called, I think it's the patent outreach board or something like that, but there's a, there's a group within the patent office that is focused on sort of how we do in type messages you know like the customer review that kind of thing right right Feedback. and yeah and so it the eastern seaboard the some of the people that, that run that are actually anchored here in central virginia so sort of a friend of a friend i got connected to them and i got onto like a skype call with half a dozen of people from that office um and this is after the appeal was filed 
after the congressional office uh, got their fingers burnt and they were told never to come back again, right. uh, I got onto a call with them and they were like, well, you know, once the appeal has been filed, there's probably nothing left that we could possibly do. But for other inventors in the future, what kind of changes to patent office, you know, procedure would you like to see as an inventor? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know. How many days do you have, right? Right. This How about take a week? ever explaining anything that you're doing in rational right. terms, right. <laughs> like even once? Um, but they did give me the number for the patent ombudsman. And so I called them up. Yeah. Uh, so I opened up a case and they said, okay, well, here's your case number. There's probably not nothing we can do, uh, but we'll call you back in a week. Uh, and, and we'll, we'll take a look at what's going on. But since, since this is going to appeal, it's kind of past where we step in. So, but we'll, we'll check in. So a week and a day later, um, I call them back and say, Hey, you know, just wanted to check in, um, and you're back. Yeah, didn't hear back when I when they were expecting to be calling me back. And so the woman was very nice. Um, she's like, uh, you know, I don't see you here. Let me open a, a case. I was like, no, I have a case number. Here's my case number. She takes that down. She's like, I don't see this. Let me try something. Oh, here it is. Right. I don't know why it's not where she was expecting it the first time. Right. Who knows? Um so she's like, huh, okay, well, there's nothing really here. Why don't you tell me what's going on? So I told her a somewhat abbreviated version of the story I just told you. Yeah, yeah. And her response was, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I've told this story at this point to over a dozen patent attorneys with more than a decade's worth of experience. I've told it to probably four or five dozen patent attorneys, but I've told it to more than a dozen with more than a decade's worth of patent experience. None of them have ever heard of anything like this happening to anybody. Yeah. Well, it's, but it's, it's the product that you're trying to get the technology you're trying to get patented, right? It's just way beyond their their scope. It's way beyond what they can understand. And so they're kicking the can down the road because they almost can't say no, right? Well, they, they can't legally say no. Well, that's what I'm saying. They can't right. say no. <laughs> they can they, say no. They, <laughs> they just of, can't do so reasonably. <laughs> right. They just have to get to a place to where they fully understand what it is. And, you know, the whole idea of it's so large, it's so large that you'd end up owning the economy. Come it's on. not quite that large. <laughs> right. Well, I get it. I get it. But it's, you but, know, yeah. it is large. It is, it is big. It's a it's, really it's big. big deal. It's a bigger it's big. deal than every other patent that's ever been applied yeah. for in the history. That's of what I, that's what I'm gathering from, from yes. everything that we're talking about. So it would it help if we put a link that that Google patent link would it help to put that in the description? I'd be happy to do so. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how I can help you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That... Um, so if somebody's listening to this, is there anything they can do to help you at this point? Um. That's that's a great question. Um. Uh. To a great extent. Uh markets are about mindshare and yeah. so getting on board learning how this thing works and and expressing interest in supporting this once it goes forward is ex is is of extreme potential value actually okay. because it wouldn't take very many names on a petition to to tip this over into something that was actually launchable and 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 acquirable and so on right okay. now i'm mostly focused on trying to license the technology to people that could actually you know do you. it but so what if we what if we did this what if you started a petition online and you send us the link we'll put it in the description if anybody that's listening wants because we're in 24 countries now right and counting so if anybody's listening and they want to support what it is that you're doing We'll put the link to the to the patent pending link, right? We'll put that link in so that they can review the information. 
they can review this this podcast, right? And then we'll and then put in, you know, put put together an online petition. We'll put a link in to in your description for that too. And then they can reach out to you if they have questions. Okay. I'm I'm down for it. That sounds that terrific. might be that might be a way to generate because I mean we've got some time, right? I mean, we're we're a little bit away from or what a year and a half away year from year and a half, yeah. Yeah. So maybe if we can get a petition going and maybe get the word out, right? Maybe what we can do is we can we can speed that up a little bit, maybe increase a little bit of pressure. Sometimes that never hurts, right? We went the congressional route and they and they basically told us to stop it. Yes. Right? <laughs> right. Got your hand slapped, right? right? Exactly. How'd that feel, right? <laughs> so let's put a if you'll if you're up for it, put an online petition together, send us the link. We'll put it in your description and we'll see if we can generate some interest. Uh sounds sounds terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm sure after listening to this, there are going to be people that want to support you, right? And they want to try and help because you're you're basically stuck. Right. You put all this work in and all this expense in and you're basically stuck. So um, there are, let's, let's there see are if we can, let's see a if we handful can of projects you. around the world that are trying to build markets that incorporate this technology. Yeah. Um, they're they're getting slow off the ground. We'll see. We'll see what happens with those. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's rough. And so having well, let's get the let's get the word out and see what kind of see what kind of trouble we can get into. Absolutely. Um, so we overshot a little bit. We're up to about 2023. Last last spring, I got introduced to a guy who's actually the ex-CTO of Reddit. Okay. Um, he retired recently and moved up my region and got involved in a conference here called TomTom. Tom. And it's got a technology track and he wanted to talk about AI. ChatGPT okay. was sort of just blowing up. And so he was running the tech track and wanted a panel about AI ethics. And so a friend of a friend introduced the two of us, uh, a woman named Tracy Green. And, and so we got together and had a very successful panel talking about you know, what sorts of capabilities were start, starting to come were immediately visible and the implications of those sorts of abilities to everything from copyrights and patents to politics and economics. Yeah. And, uh, and we kind of hit it off. And so we started a podcast together, which Beautiful. we just hit our 10th episode last month. I love it. Uh, uh, it's called The Fourth Age. And so we've been doing that uh kind of since late summer or so okay and uh and that's that kind of brings us up to the present okay. at this point well if you're looking for guests for your podcast i'm looking for podcasts to go on so if you feel like i'd be a good guest i'd be happy to to be on your podcast okay okay i'll i'll put you i'll put you on my provisional list Beautiful. and uh we can we can work that out sounds great buddy well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. This has been a fun ride. I am I am so excited for your future. And if there's anything we can do to help you, we're all in. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That that's this is an exciting idea. I'm I'm raring to to try this thing out. I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you again for being here. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.